Today on Quest, Yogini Lindsay Brusing. Life is a quest for logic and reason. It is a quest to find balance between science and faith. Life is a quest for knowledge and understanding. But most importantly, it's a quest for personal discovery. Whatever your quest, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Welcome to Quest. Hi everyone, I'm your host, Todd Fisher, and this is Season 2 of Quest. For those of you that might be new listeners, let me tell you a little about me. I'm the founder of Metatomics and the author of the best-selling book, Metatomics, The Grand Design. I'm a philosopher, a theorist, and a metaphysicist. I'm a perpetual pupil of theology and an expert in comparative religious study. I've also extensively researched the mind-body connection, anatomy, and physiology. I'm a researcher and a storyteller. And in order to tell this story, the research is necessary, and part of the research is the search. And that brings us to why I created the Quest podcast. A quest is a search for something, and this podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. To me, curiosity is part of what makes us human, and there's still so much we don't know. There's joy in discovery. It's what drives us. It's our quest. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Season 2. I'm really excited to have Lindsay Brucing on the show today. She's a phenomenal yogini based in the Midwest. I'm really a big fan of her practice. I actually recorded this interview in December, and it's surprising to me how many of the things we talked about uh, that are actually happening now. I hope you enjoy the interview and what's to come on Season 2. Thanks for listening to Quest. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the Quest Podcast. Hi, Todd. How are you? Good, good. I'm glad we could uh, get the interview scheduled and uh, and be able to talk. I'm a big fan of the brand that you're building, and uh, I'm excited to talk about it today. Me too. When I saw all the things that you were doing, it just completely aligned with where my head is at as well. And uh, I have a background, I don't know if you know this, but um, in religion and <laughs> women's studies and interviewing through journalism and, um, of course, through yoga, I love delving into philosophy. So I feel like we were meant to cross paths here. Well, you, you certainly uh, have an interesting uh, repertoire of things that you've done in your life. Right now, you're primarily uh, have built this kind of this yoga empire for yourself and uh, I, but I want you to go back and tell me a little bit about your early life. You know, where did you grow up? What led you to this? Well, I've always been kind of a existential child. Um, so I feel like just always growing as a person and having this inquiry about the world and yourself is just a natural progression for a, a child like me to grow into. I grew up in the Midwest and actually from a very young age knew that I was going to be a journalist went into the news, was a news anchor, um, and 
and a journalist in many different places, but just kind of fell out of love with the day-to-day routine of that and fell more in love with how I could heal not only the places in myself that needed healed, but use those tools to maybe help others um, on their paths as well. Great, great. The So did you grow, like, when you were young, did you grow up spiritual or religious? Or was this, was this kind of world introduced to you later on in life? It's kind of interesting. I grew up in a church that my grandparents built, um, the United Church of Christ, and always just a great place to grow up in. My parents still take my kids there on Sundays uh, when I teach and I try to get there when I can. But I've always just been thirsty for all different sorts of lessons from all different sorts of religions and ways of thinking. Um, So I feel like it's hard for someone like me to be very tunnel visioned in in one way. I'm always asking those questions. And that's uh, one thing I think is really important is just being open enough to admit that there's a lot of things that we don't know Um, and doing, you know, reading the ancient scriptures or doing what you're doing with the research and looking into things and just opening ourselves to possibilities. So I, I really enjoy taking not only from my upbringing, but other philosophies as well. It's always interesting uh, to me when I find yoga instructors, because sometimes you get kind of what I call the strip mall yoga instructor, <laughs> you know, which is the one that's just, it's really just about stretching and exercise. That's it. And then you get a lot of uh, yoga instructors that are, you know, that are deeply spiritual, and they start to incorporate that into their practice. Where do you fall in this in this way? I definitely believe that the asana or the physical practice of yoga is just to prevent dis-ease in the body, so that we can explore our higher path, our higher self, and because the layers of physical, mental. Uh, emotional, energetic, and and the spiritual bodies are so hard to separate. It's really important that we take care of that physical, but there's so much more to yoga than that. So I really don't fall into just that, hey, I'm going to give you a good workout. I think it's a great way to draw people in. Um, And I always joke that when you think you're working at your yoga practice, yoga's working at you. It's it's great. I went there at first because I didn't want my body to fall apart. I realized it was helping my anxiety. I stayed for that. And then I realized that the philosophy was congruent with a lot of things that uh, I was already interested in and trying to do to be a good person. Of course. What style of yoga do you teach? I am pretty passionate about trauma-sensitive yoga. I do a lot with one-on-one clients for mental wellness, but I also teach vinyasa classes and soft restorative yin style yoga it really is just contingent on who the person is in front of me sure tell me about trauma sensitive yoga i hadn't heard of that until i read your bio and was looking at your website what's what is trauma sensitive yoga how is that different who is it for tell me about that a little bit more oh sure it's it's actually got a lot of research now which is good because i know that you're you're big on research. And I always want to make sure that when we're dealing with people that we're giving them something good, something that's actually going to help them. So I started this back in 2015 and continue to study it and work with um, people who have just had maybe uh, childhood, childhood trauma or sex trafficking um, escapees. It, yeah. it can really run the gamut 
And what it is, is it's just a, an approach that is in tandem with talk therapy that is a somatic approach to healing. So instead of just talking through things, we're actually bringing the body into treatment. And we do this through empowering them and um, asking them to feel, because a lot of people can have very difficult relationships with their bodies post-trauma. Um, and just having them connect in, in a way where they can actually have a safe experience that they are in control of. And sure. I've been doing it for some years now and it's, um, it's pretty amazing to see when people actually stick with the practice, how it can reduce some of the symptoms and uh, increase some of the quality of life for people. Right, right. With, with COVID happening, um, I imagine that you've had to change the way you teach now and you've probably gone uh, virtual and, and you do Zoom classes and one-on-ones and things like that. Is that accurate to say? Yes. And actually here, our studio is still open. I don't own a studio, but I work at a studio and they've got social distancing measures in place. Um, and we, we have done some teacher trainings and had to go virtual. So it's just kind of a gamut. <laughs> it's just week by week what they've decided. So it's been interesting just to have to really flow with whatever's going on that we can adapt. With a trauma sensitive yoga, is that something that needs to be done in person or can that be done virtually as well? Do you need to be, is it healthy to be with the person when you're conducting that? You know, it's not so much about me being there as it is me being able to hold space for them. So it's interesting that you asked this because this morning I actually put out um, a six week course that begins at the beginning of January for women only because I think it's is important that there be a safe space and violence is a lot of times engendered. So I actually just put out a six week course that people can join uh, starting in January for trauma sensitive. And I was a little skeptical about teaching online at first. One of my one-on-one -on -one clients, I hadn't even met him in person before we started our online uh, adventures. And yeah. it actually worked out really well. I was glad to be able to see him in person once or twice in between some of those sessions just to refine some things. But I think as long as I can see them and they're safe, it's, it's actually been quite effective. Good, good. Do you, did I read somewhere that you teach yoga for athletes? Oh, sure, of course. <laughs> here's, the, here's the problem with me wanting to know everything is that I try to study every, I wanna know everything that I can. So I've taken all sorts of orthopedic modules and I'm always in some sort of continuing education course because I just think as a person, we should never stop growing. So yeah, I teach yoga for athletes as well. And it's a passion of mine because my husband is a former professional athlete and I see what that does to the body. How is that different? How is yoga for an athlete different than yoga for a normal person? You're looking at someone whose life, a lot of times income, is wrapped up in keeping this instrument of their body completely refined and optimized. So that is where we kind of untether from the philosophical approach of yoga and really just start to look at uh, the anatomical and physiological aspects, which can be fun too. Interesting, interesting. And, but, and yoga has, I would say, and I, I don't know this for sure, but does yoga have any... Uh, is is there any detriment to an athlete taking yoga? Like I always hear these interesting things about why as a professional athlete, you shouldn't try other sports. Like I grew up playing tennis and they said, don't play racquetball. You'll mess up your tennis game. Can yoga harm an athlete in, in any way? Or is it 
is 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 it because and i always boil this down this sounds terrible when i boil it down this much but if the stretching isn't going to hurt an athlete yoga couldn't possibly hurt an athlete or is there some is there is there something that it might yeah there's a couple of different i think key components is one their ego can they turn off the ego and not go too far in any one of the flows or stretches because you know you can tear things if you push them beyond their limits so i always make sure that everyone's checking their egos at the door <laughs> right <laughs> right you need an instructor who is experienced and and cares and is there for your safety to properly guide you if yeah. you have those two things it can be really amazing the range of motion and i could go on and on and on and on about how beneficial it can be but of course people have to have to have proper instruction and and know know their limits which can be hard sometimes for people who are competitive one of the things I admire about yoga is it's an activity you can do for life. You can do it young, you can do it old. And uh, that, and I, I thought about that when I was learning to play sports, like you can't, there's not a lot of people that are playing basketball or football <laughs> when they're in their seventies. <laughs> you just kind of have to, but, but people do golf, they play tennis, they do other things, um, you know, well into their later life. And what I like about yoga is that when you have to give up the weight training, there's still other things that you can still do uh, to keep active for life. And I think that's one of the, the great benefits of yoga is that it's something you can do uh, through the decades. Which is, what is, it just meets you where you at, where you're at rather, um, no matter where you're at in life, in physical condition, uh, in your mental headspace. I like to think of yoga as like a very low risk treatment for so many of our maladies and afflictions, especially yeah. compared to like other medications, procedures, diets. If you have the, if you have the right instruction and the right attitude and you're not like just trying to do some Instagram sort of crazy postures, you know, I mean, if it's a healthy relationship with the yoga, it can, can be effective on so many levels. Sure. You also teach meditation. What are the, tell my listeners what the benefits of meditation are. Yeah, and meditation actually uh, in yogic philosophy is one of the eight limbs. We've got eight different limbs that we study. The first two are moral and ethical observances. Um, and then, you know, you've got your breathing exercises and your physical postures. And then you get into the meditative aspects, which is really where my headspace is at right now. Meditation is so important for so many reasons. Um, and I'll just tell listeners that I think some of the things that we have in meditation, like withdrawing our senses and maybe going inside are, are so important. Right now, we just have to listen all day, every day to what seven and a half billion people are doing and thinking every second. That's what we do, right? We watch this continuous news cycle. We worry. Um, we remember. We do all these things that aren't in fact, what's in front of us right now. And it muddies the mind. So there's this balance that is needed of interacting and informing ourselves of the world, but also like delving into the quiet. And I really feel if everyone were introspective once in a while and studied themselves, their tendencies, their source, would this world not be a better place? For sure, for sure. When, you know, do medi uh, meditations, they have to be long. Can you have a short meditation? I think a lot of people are kind of intimidated by uh, by meditating because they think they have to devote a long time to it. Can a short meditation be just as effective? 
you know, I taught, I don't know what your experience has been or if you've ever delved in, but meditation can be anything from say, say, uh, in Catholicism, praying the rosary. Mm-hmm. It could be a very conscious walk and looking at everything around you. Uh, it could be so many different things and it doesn't have to be long to be effective. I think if you're using it for something like um, being productive or building new neural pathways in the mind, you want at least 10 minutes in a day. Sure. But every small little bit really helps. A lot of times I'll have people who have never meditated before and we'll just start it three, four minutes. Let's just do something palatable because you, you don't want to, you don't want (laughs) to like dread getting to that meditation, right? You want it to be something that actually uh, feels inviting to get to. Right. Of course. Of course. With uh, 2020, we had obviously COVID changed the whole dynamic of the world. And it certainly changed the dynamic of how fitness centers and yoga studios functioned. How has your yoga practice had to change since since COVID, how, your yoga teaching, how has it had to change since then? You mentioned that, uh, you know, your studio is social distancing and you're teaching a lot in Zoom. What else has changed? You have, are you able to do your teacher trainings? Are you, do you have to change the style in which you teach? Do you worry about on video, you know, it's just one big master shot and people can't see details of things like what's, what's challenged you through this? Well, I'll speak to a couple things. One, it's it's needed now more than ever, this introspective, um, intentional-based, mindful practice, whatever level you're doing it on, whether, whether you're connecting with God or a higher power during your practice, whether you want nice buns, you know, whatever <laughs> anyone comes there for, um, it's looking a lot different because people can't, a lot of people just can't get to the studio, even if it is open. It's not, um, it's not with their belief system or, or their health, whatever it might be. So I had to kind of let go of my background where I like to cut and edit the videos. I like them to be perfect. I like to do my voice soundtrack over it, you know, cut to different shots. And it had to be like, okay, we, we just have to get out a really nice well-packaged class in one take. That's what, what it's going to be. That's where we're going to meet people at. And so not worrying if my cat meows in the background. All <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, kind of letting go of that perfectionism and just serving people. Because that's what, that's what teaching yoga is about, is about serving other people, at least in my brain. Of course, of course. And do you think, um, do you think now that people are used to being able to take a yoga class, a dance class, do these things on Zoom now, which didn't seem to exist a year ago. Do you think people are going to stay doing this? Do you think, um, do you think people will be gun shy to actually show up to studios for a while because they've, they've, at least they know they can do it from their home and they're probably enjoying that. Or do you think uh, we'll have a sense of kind of camaraderie and we'll want to actually be around people again soon? What's your feelings on that? Well, you'll see a lot of change, obviously, in many different vocations, people being like, oh, well, now my employees can work from home. We'll save a couple bucks there with the brick and mortar. Yeah. But our, our yoga community here and the yoga communities that I see when I travel and teach crave that connection, not only with themselves, not only with a higher source, 
but with a fellow human that they know is striving for good things as well. And when you hear everyone breathing together or chanting together, or just knowing that someone is next to you, it's really irreplaceable. So in my personal practice, I don't practice in the studio. My practice looks completely different in 2020 than it ever has before. It's very soft. It's very introspective. It's very meditation based. I only do a few postures and they're usually long holds. But I think when this is all over, people are really going to celebrate the fact that we can come together again. I'll be excited I, to see that. I think so. I, I agree with you there. What is your, what is your, pardon me? I, I was going to say, are there things that you're like ready to get out and do with other people as well? Or has this kind of brought you to a more. You know, for, you know, for me, it's really, uh, it's really weird. I, you know, I didn't, I never wasn't one. I wasn't one that went to a lot of concerts. Like I just occasionally went to concerts, but I see, you know, video of concerts and I think, wow all those people massed together. It's scary to me to see that and to think that that'll happen again. But what I miss is things like um, conferences and conventions, you know, that South by Southwest or Comic-Con and those things, which had even more people than concerts have, just tons and tons of people. Like I miss those events, but I think it's a little scary to me to think about being in a big crowd like that. Sure. And I'll, and I'll tell you why it's, it's because, you know, I'm, for me, I'm kind of a cup is half empty kind of guy. All my listeners hear me say this uh, virtually every every episode, uh, but you know I don't. I think we're years away from this being over, and uh, and the reason why I say that is, you know, there are these these vaccines are coming. Um, I, I did an interview the other day with a psychologist who was heavily doubting the science behind these vaccines because they're RNA-based vaccines, which could have serious implications on us in the long term. And, and the public really don't know this or understand this, how this works. And these are vaccines that have been rushed within eight months. And it seems dangerous to me. I'm a little skeptical about it. But let me tell you the other thing I think is also the case, and that is, well, this vaccine is going to come out. People will be eligible to start taking it. It's going to take a really long time to get it to everyone. But there's still a lot of people that are kind of the anti-vaxxers that they themselves won't want to take it. They won't want their kids to take it. And, uh, and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to refuse this, maybe a significant amount of the population, which means that COVID is going to stay around as long as there's people that it can attach itself to. And, and then there's the idea behind whether this virus replicates and becomes something else and morphs into a different strain of itself. Which is so, seen time and time again in history with different yeah. strains of things, yeah. Yeah, and so I think you know we're looking at that amount of time. And also I think just because the vaccine's rolling out, we're still gonna have mask mandates. There's still gonna be a lot of issues with how people can be seated and, uh, and, you know, social distancing measures will probably still be in place as a, um, as a, as a precaution. And uh, so I think we're looking at several years of this. And, uh, and, and my fear is that over these several years of still having to deal with this, you'll continue to see an economic collapse. You'll still see restaurants closing and gyms closing and dance studios closing. And, uh, and I think we haven't seen the tip of the iceberg on this. I think a lot of people are kind of going into this, oh, January, it's going to be a new year. Or this, we're going to get on top of this. I'm not convinced of that. 
So you know, you say that you're a glass half empty kind of guy, which I I like the skepticism because I think <laughs> I think you can never believe things 100%. You always got to like look at your sources, and I that resonates with me so much because I'm naturally a, a glass half empty kind of gal, and my mom has had to beat the optimism into me. So when we're coming back to like maybe why you're interviewing me or or whatnot. I think what you practice, you become. And so it's always good to have that skepticism, but you also have to have that little bit of, little bit of bright, looking for the bright spots. Well, I hope for the best. I prepare for the worst. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, no one knew this was coming. No one, you know, no one could have predicted that this year would become this. This was already going to be a, a weird year. And when this podcast airs, it will probably be 2021. But so I'm kind of, talking about the year we're in as we record this, but, uh, but, you know, this was already a weird year because it was an election year and election years are always odd years anyways, but then you, you know, you put, you put, throw COVID into the mix and then you throw murder hornets into the mix and then you throw protests and riots into the mix and like all these things. And it's just like so much for people to have to deal with. And, uh, and that's why you having a spiritual practice, doing yoga, keeping your, your your brain health right is so important now more than ever before. I think in times like these dark times, people look for other answers and other solutions and they find their way into a church, they find their way into a yoga class, they find their way into meditation to keep some form of balance and create some kind of hope for themselves. Yeah. And you hope they go that way instead of, you know, down the other way in a, in a negative cycle. Yeah. So it's important that you're having these kinds of talks. I appreciate the, the, the scientific perspective of this. I think you're, we're going to see studies about 2020 for the next 15 years. The we're going there, there are people studying the effects of isolation on people. There are people that are doing studies on how every animal from every animal shelter was adopted during COVID because every people that lived alone or didn't have anyone what at least wanted a pet. And then, you know, they're going to talk about how certain forms of art are dying because mom and pop dance studios can't stay open now. You know, we'll see the death of Broadway. We'll see the death of all, like the ballets in New York may merge because they can't afford to have two ballets now. And, uh, and anybody that thinks Broadway will reopen in May is crazy because yeah. these theaters are so big, like they can't socially distance. They can't afford, to, they can't physically really afford to even open if they can't hit a maximum amount of people. That's why shows close on Broadway because they don't get enough attendance and they can't afford the staff in the building. And uh, so I think you're going to see a whole lot of changes in things. And, um, and it's going to be really interesting to see kind of the state of the country and people in it now. And there's not even, you know, there's not even numbers really yet to support how many people have become homeless. LA's got a big problem with that right now. People that couldn't pay their rent and they kind of had that grace period over the summer and then everything became due. Uh, there were, and there was an exodus of U-Hauls out of LA. There are people that live in storage lots there now. There are more homeless in LA than ever before. And there, no one's actually been able to actually go out and count and do studies to support all this. 300,000 people moved out of Manhattan in six months. We That's crazy. Plenty of people <laughs> here in the Midwest um, who are from the Midwest, but live in Manhattan who are working from here right now and living with their parents. 
because they don't want to be in yeah in manhattan it's not help you know so what's what's weird in manhattan is you know when when you're not working as an actor or a dancer in something you what would you normally do you would take a job as a bartender or a waitress and you would that's what you would do until you book your next entertainment job they couldn't even do that (laughs) so a lot of people moved away lots of dancers have moved away lots of actors have moved away and moved back to indiana and kentucky and iowa and uh, move move back in with their parents yeah and you know i think it's interesting because a lot of people at the beginning of 2020 thought it was going to be this year of clarity right 2020 vision right I totally agree with everything that you said. It's not going to be until years after that we actually have clarity and that hindsight to be like, oh, so that's what happened. That's why this all went down. And who knows even then if our world leaders or the people in charge will learn anything or listen about that then, you know, going forward. That's always interesting too. Yeah. And it's odd to hear the different perspectives of people because there are there are a lot of people in the religious community that say these are prophesized things these are end of days type things and there's other people in the science world that say these viruses are going to pop up from time to time and you know so you just never really know and america's never really you, you, at least not anyone that's alive today uh, has experienced anything like this i mean since like the spanish flu there mm-hmm. really hasn't hasn't been a generation that's had to deal with this in modern times so we're really getting something we've never seen before here and it's certainly affected people what i think is really weird is also for like high school kids that didn't get to have their proms or their graduations like a lot of the things that you're like at least for us like we were used to doing our senior dinner dances and our proms and all this stuff that we were so used to kids didn't even get and there's no real studies behind the effects of these things or um, these, this ambiguous loss, so to speak, that you don't get to say your goodbyes to people, whether it's friends or a loved one or someone in a nursing home that you could n- just never see again. And that ambiguous loss is, is rough. And uh, the long-term studies will be interesting to see how to cope with that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's even been interesting just on a personal note. Um, my husband, being a physician, has a totally different perspective, but we had a neighbor who had a stroke this summer and her her family wasn't even getting calls back from the hospital, nor could they go in there. So I think it there's all these, not only global <laughs> issues that we're dealing with, but and then hitting home on so many different personal levels. And it's just, it, it has been sad to hear, to hear the effects of that. Um, and we're just trying right now to be as responsible as we can, because he's seeing, you know, that there's no ICU beds left right now for his patients. And um, wow. so, yeah, interesting to see those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, uh, to, to fix the world, my, my overall view on this is that I think the problem we have is a population issue. And I think a population issue is always a drain on resources and uh, bad things happen when you start to overpopulate the planet. And, uh, and I think the only way we can really overcome these problems is to really look inward to ourselves before we can go out and fix all the external problems. And that's one of the reasons I like meditation. I like prayer. I like yoga. Mm -hmm. I got to look inside me to figure out how I could address fixing anything else. If I can't fix me first, I certainly can't fix anything else. You know? No, yeah. You have to have your microcosm has to be. You yeah, know, and that's and that's how you have to to address it. And and there is a the end of my book I put out talks about that a lot, 
in how you need to um, to service yourself first. So my next book will go into that a lot more. I'm curious what your daily routine is. What do you what do you do every day? Do you do you do yoga? You meditate? You prayer? With your nutrition? What do you do? As someone who I I do I still do a lot of TV and uh, other work just because I was a model in a former life and a, and a news anchor and so I do do some video work and and things and my kids are either in school or online it goes back and forth I'm either teaching or I'm not there's not any sort of semblance of <laughs> normalcy on any given day uh, there's just not which is actually fine for me right yeah. now I think everyone right now just needs grounding in some way or another and my grounding is my at least 10 minutes of meditation a little a couple of yoga poses I don't get a lot of time to myself and and then trying to be there for the people that I love and seeing how I can maybe plug myself in to my community and and make this a little easier on other people so I'm just constantly looking for opportunities to do that um that's it. I, I have no daily schedule whatsoever. I'm always curious when I talk to professionals on these interviews, what they have. And you're the first one that said that, that it's kind of all over the board. That's how I am, though. I'm, it's, I might have a 2 a.m. workout, <laughs> oh but six afternoon meditations <laughs> that are five minutes each, you know. So it's like it's crazy by the what I do. And, and my like I change things up like my biggest fear is is having such a structured day that I feel like I have a day job because then I feel miserable. So I'll change up drastically just my work schedule just to always keep it fresh for me. Well, and uh, because there's, yeah. there's utility, I think in, in some scheduling, you know, like uh, if, you, if you look at some of the great people of our past, like Winston Churchill had like a really set schedule of how he did things, but you never want it to get mechanical. You always want to be present in what you're doing. And so I think the biggest thing like like you is I don't have a big schedule, but when I'm in something, I'm in something. When I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. When I'm with my kids, I'm looking my kids in the eyes. And I think that's the most important thing about the day. Yeah, I get it. Like, you know, if I was governing over people or I'm Elon Musk and I have, you know, 16 companies and they're in 12 time zones and I've got to work 20 hours, like I get the schedule for those people but like just the solo act that i am i can't keep the regimented schedule like i can't do nine to five i feel like it's a flashback to high school and having to get up at 6 a.m and go to school and be miserable all day and it's like i gotta change it up so it's crazy how i how i do it both though too i think it comes back to i I am the worst at self-motivating i am (laughs) and i've really gotten a good lesson in it this year so i think it's two people who kind of work for ourselves and do our own things and decide what projects we want to proliferate. It's, it's been good for me. I think I'm a little bit more type A coming out of this, which I needed because I'm so, so haphazard. Uh, so I think, I think it's been a, a good year actually for teaching me different lessons, refining. What's, what's, uh, what's coming up for you? Do you have a, uh, do you have new teacher trainings coming up? Do you have anything new you want to talk about? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so it's just like so many other people, it's, it's wide open, right? We'd like to think that we know what's coming up and we can plant seeds, but um, they're all just, they're all just hopes. I do have in February, at the beginning of February, uh, we will have virtual options for the Power Life 300 
500 hour yoga teacher training and I'm teaching on the nervous system and some really interesting things that go into how that governs the entire body and even your mental and emotional states and some yogic application for that. So if people are interested, uh, they can go on powerlife.com and look for that and be a part of our program virtually. How can people find you out there in the interwebs? You have a website and you have social media. Sure, it's a little corny, but my website is yogathrill.com. Like thrill, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I think life should be an adventure. So whatever I do put together, I like to think of as an exploration. And um, so that, that's my website, yogathrill.com. And then I'm Yogini Lindsay, L-I-N-S-E-Y on Instagram. And people can find me um, pretty much anywhere else except for Twitter because I, again, don't think we need to know what seven and a half billion people are thinking at every moment. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, I get you there. Uh, well, Lindsay, I really appreciate you coming out. It was a fun interview for sure. And let's, uh, let's talk again soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Todd. Thank you. Bye-bye. have it my interview with Lindsay. i hope you liked it be sure to check out our website and social media i'll see you next week on quest thank you for listening to quest please be sure to rate and review this podcast this podcast is produced by todd fisher and distributed by metacortex publishing this podcast is copyright Previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Be sure to visit the official website for the International Association of Metatomics at metatomics.org or find us on social media for other unique content. And make sure to pick up a copy of the book that started a spiritual revolution, Metatomics the Grand Design, available for sale online and at most major bookstores. <laughs>